Welcome to Press Coverage. I am Theo Greminger. And at Press Coverage, I'm trying to bring in the sharpest guests I can find. I'm trying to bring you actionable information. And I'm trying to find the edges that can help us win, not only in the offseason, but in, in the season and in the future as well. And I love the fact that my guest today is Ray Garvin. You know him from Destination Devi. Uh, this is exciting for me because all summer long, I, I you know talked to Ray and I said, hey, let's, let's podcast. And Ray's like, cool, let's do it. And it just never worked out, but we, we were here. It's week three, and I got Ray Garvin here on press coverage. This is exciting stuff. Ray, talk to me. How are you doing? Um, love the stuff you're putting out there at Destination Debbie. Let everybody know kind of where they can find your work and kind of your, your schedule of what's coming out, um, basically what days your stuff drops and where they can find you. Yeah, appreciate you first and foremost, Theo, for having me on. I have uh, frequented the uh... – Player profiler, Roto Underworld uh, Radio Network, a time or two in my fantasy career. Uh, but this is the first time we've got a chance to chop it up. And we've been trying to schedule this for months. But you know what? Better late than never. And you know what? To be quite honest, I think we've got some really good things to talk about. And I'm glad that it worked out the way it did, that it did. Because this is already starting off to be one of the most unpredictable, crazy, wild fantasy seasons I've been a part of. And I know we say this every year, but it feels a little different this year for a variety of reasons I'm sure we'll talk about. But uh, for anybody out there, you can find all of my content on DestinationDevy.com. We just launched our website. We're doing stuff on YouTube with Scott Connor and myself. And Theo, one of the things that we've really started to really dive into, especially at the beginning of the season for drafts, is war, wins above replacement data. And applying that to fantasy football, different topic for a different day, but we've got a lot of stuff over in DestinationDevy.com. It's another way to look at fantasy football and player sort of tier selections from an analytical standpoint, using historical data to sort of identify pockets of areas in which you want to attack or fade. So that's sort of what we've got going on. We've got stuff coming out every damn day, though, man. Podcast every day, YouTube every other day, man. We're trying We're trying to keep up with y'all. I'm trying to keep up with y'all. Y'all putting out stuff every hour, so I'm trying to keep yeah. up with y'all, but thank you for having me on, man. No, for sure. And, uh, and I'll say, you know, sometimes, and I talked to you about this in the pre-show where I mentioned this to Scott as well, and I had Scott on press coverage as my guest last week, so it's been like a Destination Devi invasion here into press coverage. Um, but that's just kind of how it worked out on the schedule. But it's it's funny how there's been an edge in early season redraft, which is kind of mainly the focus of press coverage. We jump across across ships here, but there's been an edge for the players that have been, you know, active dynasty managers because we've seen these younger players not only step up, but we've seen Puka Nakua mania here. Also, to an extent, Kyron Williams was a guy that was known well in dynasty circles and really didn't do much in redraft last year. But where are you at on that Ray, where it's kind of like a cyclical nature of, of football? Like you're, you're uh, obviously destination Debbie, you're a big college football guy, you're a big dynasty guy, but you also step into redraft. How do you think they all kind of tie into one another and, and kind of the edges you get by playing the different formats? 100% man. I, I think the more exposure you have to different formats that exposes you to different players. We, we're all trying to do the same thing. We are trying to pick the best players and we're using a variety of things to paint the most complete picture possible. When you are tapped into the college game, when you are playing dynasty and taking those calculated conviction shots on younger players who could see some opportunity, I, I think it gives you just 
a little a better comfort level about investing in some of those players in a seasonal format when you know that man if this guy were to assume any role in this offense or they get drafted to a situation where there is opportunity where the you know the seasonal fantasy football manager may not be paying attention to as much of that stuff early on in the process it's like look I'll I'll deal with that you know June July August once we get to that time but when you're constantly tapped in you kind of know like hey if this player lands in a situation because of these specific metrics because of this film whatever it is that you use to analyze the player you're more you feel there's there's a little more comfortability in taking those shots. I got a lot of Puka Nakua, not because I bought him after the fact, but because I knew that that archetype of player, if he were to land in an opportune situation and he got an opportunity, at least it felt like it was better than not that he would actually produce. Now, would he produce to this level? Absolutely not. But Theo, it's the same calculated bet that I made on Amon Ross St. Brown a couple of years ago when everybody said, sell, sell, sell. I'm like, I wouldn't do that. And here's why. So I think there's a lot that each subset of fantasy football can take away from playing and trying out those different variations in different formats. And it's very funny where if I trade a Puka Nakua for a 2024 first and it's a non super flex, I'm betting on Marvin Harrison shots. But if I miss out on the truly elite, you know, I've got this elite target earner right now, and it's kind of like like you bring up the Amon Ross St. Brown. You saw so many people say, you know, I pulled a fast one. I traded this fourth-round draft pick, and I got this random first-round pick for him. I won. And then two years later, right now, it's taking for Amon Ross St. Brown. If I want to trade for him in a non-superflex league, I'm giving up two firsts plus, and I still might get turned down. So it's a, it's definitely a – we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit more about Puka later, but you definitely get a big hat tip. Any – um, you know, player profiler listener can recall Ray coming on Mind a Mansion and talking up Puka Nakua. He's got a lot of receipts for it. So that's uh, definitely a hat tip on that one. Uh, what are your quick thoughts on Nick Chubb? It's horrible to see one of the more likable players uh, in football. Throwback old school football people love Nick Chubb with his running style. And I think there's not really any negativity towards Nick Chubb at all. Like throughout the league, this is a guy that people collectively rooted for. And he goes down to a knee injury. Terribly unfortunate. Your thoughts on that? And also, how is this Browns offense going to look without Nick Chubb? Yeah, man. Um, Sucks. Sucks for the game of football. Sucks for the game of football. I'm not a Cleveland Browns fan. I don't have any allegiance towards Nick Chubb. But I respected the hell out of his game. I loved watching him run the rock. I loved watching Nick Chubb be on the field. I loved him at Georgia. To see that happen to that type of player. I think it's it's unfortunate when these things happen. It just shows you the game that we play. We're playing a proxy for a game that other people play. We can put in all the work we want, Theo. We can, we can have all the best models, the best websites, the best articles, the best tools. And at the end of the day, the game is the game, man. And routine stuff like taking a sack, running. You know how many times Nick Chubb has run that play? You know, been tackled, tackled low, and then just the one freak chance, it could be career-ending. It's just, it's unfortunate for Nick Chubb. Fantasy-wise, the Browns didn't look too hot with Nick Chubb, and I get week one was rainy. Deshaun Watson was still making excuses for him working his way back onto the field. But I don't think this is good. I, I don't think this is good. The, the heart and soul of that team is gone. The one player that they could truly lean on when they needed it, is no longer there. And I don't care how many bodies they replace him with. 
sure, you can replace running backs. I get it. It is a replaceable position, but you can't replace Nick Chubb. I think this is this is this is not good for the Cleveland Browns. The way Deshaun Watson played and carried himself last night didn't seem like a good reflection of that organization, or at least the direction that they want to go in. I, I'm not feeling good about Cleveland right now. This is this is what I'll say, Theo. Deshaun, you're making 139 million dollars guaranteed, quarter billion dollars. Go be the guy. Yeah. Go be the guy. Go be. I don't want to hear it now. Go be the damn guy. So unfortunate for Chubb. Unfortunate for Cleveland, but nobody can cry. It's week two. Get it together. Yeah, no, no, for sure. And I think that he's going to have many opportunities, and the team is going to kind of be on his back now. So for better or for worse, we're gonna we're gonna see that either the Deshaun Watson bounce back or a further descent in like you know his dynasty value and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we're gonna dive into a number of subjects. We're gonna talk a lot about this rookie class as well as raise thoughts on Chris Olave and who he's putting money in on the waiver wire this week. Uh, when after we hear a word from our sponsors. It has been two years since Josh Larkey paved the way for fantasy gamers to start expecting positive returns from Pick'em games, specifically underdog Pick'ems. And how do you do it? Well, you look at the slate and you find a great shootout or a sneaky shootout. You also look for a shit show game. Three, four, five. Six guys in one game. That's right. You can do it. You can do it. And you can 100x your payout on underdog. Think about week one. Jets Bills was a shit show. Did we see the Aaron Rodgers injury coming? No, but we knew the Jets have a good defense. We knew the Bills have a good defense. Why not expect the worst? And the worst is what we got. So if you had gone Dalvin Cook less than, Garrett Wilson less than, Aaron Rodgers less than, Josh Allen less than, Gabriel Davis less than, boom, 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 boom. You can go six for six. Same thing in week two. Oh, week two. Oh, sneaky shootout there in Philadelphia. Minnesota's going to be in comeback mode. So we'll go Cousins, Jefferson, Hawkinson, more than. Madison, less than. But also, Swift, more than. Boom, 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 boom. That's how you do it with the underdog pickums, And you use promo code UNDERWORLD to get a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. You put in 100 Underdog matches that deposit up to 100 bucks with promo code UNDERWORLD. Go start picking. Welcome back to Press Coverage. I'm Theo Greminger, and I'm joined with by Ray Garvin of Destination Devi. Uh, Ray, I, I want to quickly uh, pick your brain on waiver wire. And depending on when you're listening to this, your waivers might have already gone through. Some leagues, your waivers, you know, are, are still very much open. But one guy that I didn't put on the show sheet, but it's one rookie that I want to talk to you about is Tank Dell. I'm intrigued by Tank Dell. And this is a guy that I had as my, I had him as my, well, I'll, you know, you're, you're a content creator. You'll appreciate this one. I wrote the longest waiver wire article you've ever seen. It broke me in half. I wanted to get it in by 730 so I could enjoy Monday Night Football doubleheader. And then the injury happens to Nick Chubb. And I have to go back and, and do a couple notes and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, that's the life we've chosen. But I had Tank Dell up there as the wide receiver that I preferred this week. And I like Tutu Atwell. I like Josh Reynolds. There's a couple other wide receiver options. But Dell looks to me like the kind of guy that could be a wide receiver three the rest of the season. I like the way he wins. I like the passing volume in Houston. I like the C.J. Stroud passed for 384 yards this past week. Where are you at on Tank Dell? 
man, Tank Dell. Uh, Theo, this is one where you asked me this, and I thought you were going to give me the floor first so I can say Tank Dell. I had everything pulled up to say Tank Dell, and you took the damn name from me, but I'm on board with you. I am, I am very encouraged for this year from what I'm seeing from Houston, and I did not expect to see this type of passing volume from the Houston Texans when you just think about what they had a defensive head coach coming from San Francisco, Brock Purdy. They're just going to, they're going to manage the game for CJ Stroud. Shit, man. They're letting that man sling it. I love it too, Theo. And you look at this Texans wide receiver core, all three of these guys, we've seen Robert Woods be okay. I mean, he's, he's, he's cracking lineups. He's the top 36 receiver. Of course, Nico Collins having a little mini breakout, but tank Dell, the opportunity that he saw, in week two, I do not think it's a blip. I do not think it is a, a fluke. I think this is a trend. I mean, he he damn near doubled up his routes. Targets per route run, 22%, 24% target share. And then the air yard share, over 20%. To see that from this archetype of rookie wide receiver in week two on a team that's going to be bad, I'm loving this. If C.J. Stroud continues to sling the ball around 32 times plus per game, there's going to be plenty of opportunity for Tank Dell to be a consistent wide receiver three. And you know, a player with his skill set, the explosiveness. I know he didn't test well, but on the field, he's just as quick as can be. There will be some games where he spikes for you. So I'm 100% with you. If Tank Dell is on waivers, I think you need to pick him up expeditiously, get him on your roster, and I think you can plug him in as soon as this week. I don't believe Houston's going to be able to stop anybody in Theo. I don't think they give a damn, man. They're trying to prepare their quarterback of the future to to fight when he when they do get more weapons around him, he's ready to go. I love what I'm seeing out of Houston early this season. Yeah, and Tank Dell's definitely a guy that you're gonna get for a little bit cheaper if Jerome Ford is available in your league right now. Um, and it's interesting because he was a University of Houston product. They seem to really love him and they really know him based on you know the familiarity of being such a close thing. So Stroud seems to to have a chemistry with him. And I love your call on Nico Collins as well. I think Nico Collins, if I'm in a league and I want to get some wide receiver help, I don't think the market dictates what Nico Collins is kind of worth the rest of the season. I think you can get him for very cheap in a lot of leagues right now. So I'm kicking the tires on Nico Collins and I'm putting in waiver wire bids on Tank Dell. Is there anybody else, Ray, that kind of stands out to you that might be available on some of these waiver wires? Uh let, let me ask you this. Let me just get your thoughts on this particular player. The offense isn't great, Theo, and you look at the data right now, and it's 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 below average. But I look inside of this division, I look inside of this team, and, and it feels like they just need some explosiveness to go alongside one of their other explosive players. How are you personally feeling about Rashid Shahid from the New Orleans Saints? Just, is this a guy... We're not talking best ball. I'm talking where you got to put somebody in a lineup. Like, would we ever feel comfortable with Shahid? And if we did, he feels like just one of those boomer bust type players. But just give me your thoughts on Shahid because I kind of want to talk about him. But Michael Thomas looks like he's back. We know what Olave is. We'll probably talk about him in a little bit. But where are you at with Shahid in that offense? So I'm encouraged by the fact that New Orleans is taking shots downfield. And Derek Carr is, you know... Game one, he connected on like five passes over 20 yards. He has two deep ball completions of Chris Olave the last two weeks. 
it's funny. One of my first guests on press coverage was Sigmund Bloom. And this was way, way, way back in the summer, early summer. And he was talking about how much he loved Rashid Shahid. And he looked at the Saints as one of this year's breakout offenses and what Shahid does with his speed and what he did, you know, kind of coming out of nowhere. The second most famous athlete out of Weber State, I think we call him now. I think he's he's not going to be Damian Lillard, but game time. <laughs> we'll we'll put him up there. Um, I'm intrigued by Shahid as more of a stash, and also like if I'm chasing points in a league, all it takes is one big play from Shahid. So it's I, I hate to use the the term better in best ball. If you have him on a best ball roster, you're loving it. Um, but I do think you know you bring up Michael Thomas and. Michael Thomas looks like he's back. Let's see if he can stay on a football field because he struggled doing that. He's a little bit older. Um, and if there's any sort of attrition, like we've seen with a lot of these older players this year, then Shahid's a, a play. You can play him week in, week out. So um, they did a heck of a job last year with these rookies to have Alave and Shahid. You know, you added real speed and, and real talent at the wide receiver position. So I'm intrigued by Shahid. I, I bid on him last week in a couple of these leagues and I have him on a number of teams right now. Did not start him this past week, but um, if I'm chasing it and I feel like I'm an underdog, that's the kind of guy I want in my lineup because he can he can beat you on one or two big plays. We saw it last year and we saw it in week one. Well, let me give you let me give you the the rookie that I definitely would and and it, the big byproduct of this is the quarterback is playing well. This is a quarterback that played awful last year, but yep. you look at the Denver Broncos and Russell Wilson. He's been. He's, he's, I know, exclude the Hail Mary. I just exclude the Hail Mary. Besides getting sacked left and right, throwing the ball, he's been okay. He's been a lot better than last year. Marvin Mims, he only ran five routes. But Theo, you look at this offense and it is slow. Cortland Sutton, can, can he's a good contested catch guy, but he's not threatening any defensive coordinator down the field. Jerry Judy, that's just not his game. He's the quick intermediate. He feels like a poor man's version of what Chris Godwin used to be. They need an element of speed on this offense to open it up for Russell Wilson. Inside of a division where you have to div- compete with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert, Marvin Mims, and it might, here's the thing with Mims, even if you pick him up and you land him tomorrow, it might not happen this week, but when it does, you are, like, you're not going to want to pay the prices for Marvin Mims when it does happen, because I believe it's only a matter of time before the Denver Broncos say, we got to get that kid the ball more. He brings a different element to this offense. So Marvin Mims is another young rookie that I think could really impact us this year in fantasy. And if they, if he's on waivers, get ahead of it. Even if it's just for one week, I would get ahead of Marvin Mims before the cost doubles or triples. I love that call. And Marvin Mims, I talked about him in my my waiver wire column. He's one of my, my most rostered players in Dynasty right now. I was like automatic for me when... Uh, when I was in the second round of, of rookie drafts this past uh, offseason, I would just take Marvin Mims, and I have a bunch of them in best ball as well. Marvin Mims is a stud, and this was an offense that finished dead last in points per game last year, and this was a guy that Sean Payton prioritized. This is his first draft pick as Denver Broncos head coach, and I think that Sean Payton gets it. Like I think that we, we, you know, we talk about self-scouting and wanting teams to kind of use their talent more. I think Sean Payton will do that. And I think that Marvin Mims is going to continue seeing a growing role. And it's funny how you bring up, like, people want to see these guys getting a full snap share and immediate fantasy production. Like, the Jamar Chases and the Puka Nakuas, I can't believe I said that in the same sentence, but the Jamar Chases and the Puka Nakuas, the Jalen Waddles that, that that pop early, these are usually the exception to the rule. Like, Garrett Wilson popped in week two, Justin Jefferson popped in week two, but most of these guys in their career 
their breakout game is a few games in. Um, so, you know, all it's going to take is a higher snap share. Marvin Mims on a, on a low snap basis is, is a stud. And, uh, you know, he's the kind of guy that you're going to take shots on. That the, I, I agree with you completely. I love Marvin Mims. Want to backtrack, though. You bring up Chris Olave. I'm so impressed with him right now. This is a guy that we saw steamed up in drafts as the summer moved along. I was in a draft with Scott in Vegas. And uh, Chris Olave, he took like 14th overall, something like that. Uh, I saw him going off the board right in that range. I think maybe we weren't high enough on him. Uh, he has back-to-back games now with 40-plus yard receptions. Where are you at on Alave in redraft? Like, if you were going to draft again, how high would you push him up? And where are you at on him in Dynasty? How elite is Chris Alave in terms of, like, big-picture Dynasty-wide receivers? Yeah, if I had to do it over again, and I'm looking at uh, underdog to ADP, and I think this was right before the season started. It looked like Alave was right here around uh, – uh, 20 ADP, 19.9. I got him behind Jalen Waddle, Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup, Amon Ra, CeeDee Lamb, Garrett Wilson, A.J. Brown, Stephon Diggs, Tyreek Hill, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson. If I had to redo this today and put my mind back in, back in, you know, pre-NFL season where I would rank him, knowing what I know about Chris Olave today, I'd say this. It would still be, and knowing what sort of played out, it would still be Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Tyreek Hill, Stephon Diggs, CeeDee Lamb, Amon Ross, St. Brown, and I'd probably put Chris Olave right there over A.J. Brown, um, over Cooper Cup, over Devontae Adams. He'd be right there in that tier. He is, Theo, one of the things that I've been coining of late. And I'm trying, because a lot of people who consume our content, when we throw out a bunch of uh, targets per route run, our route yards per route run, da, 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 it just it's, it's confusing. So uh, you see it on behind me, Trinity. I call it the wide receiver Trinity. If you just look at these three isolated metrics, Theo, whether it's dynasty or redraft, you look at target share, you look at yards per route run slash air yard share, and if you look at yards after the catch per reception, if you just filtered everything out and looked at those three things, you would quickly be able to identify where the elite receivers are, where the kind of elite light guys are, and where your boomer bust better for best ball guys. Chris Olave, and this is what I say, if you've got one of those three components, you're just replaceable. I don't really care. If you got two of three you're Jalen Waddle, right? That's And people don't like to hear this. Amon Ra has two of those three ingredients. Jalen Waddle has two of them. There are no air yards for Amon Ra. That is why, as good as he is, he's not going to be Justin Jefferson unless he can get yards down the field. If you can't get that, it's going to limit your opportunity unless you're telling me he's going to go out there and get 200 targets. Chris Olave has all three. He's getting the air yard share. He's getting the target share. He doesn't do a lot after the catch, but it doesn't matter because everything else is so good. And then he's got an average quarterback. He's good, man. Now you look at him and you think, this guy doesn't look like Marvin Harrison Jr. He's not built like Jamar Chase. He's not A.J. Brown. He's just it's kind of just Chris Olave. And I think because he doesn't look physically imposing, he doesn't, he doesn't look like the quote-unquote alpha, people underrate him. But every single time he goes out there, he's producing in the valuable ways in which score us fantasy points. So if I had to redo it again, he'd be right there as wide receiver six, wide receiver seven for me in redraft leagues. And in dynasty, I mean, he's in he's in elite territory, Theo. He, he, He just is. Get over it. I was not the biggest Chris Olave fan. When Ryan Lopes and I were doing the breakout finder, I used to give him so much shit about Chris Olave. Oh, he's the worst one of the Ohio State receivers. 
That very well may still be the case, but it doesn't matter because he's damn good in the league. So Olave, I, I think this guy is a bona fide wide receiver one for your team that you probably got as a wide receiver two. You will, you should be smiling to the bank right now with Chris Olave. Seasonal leagues, dynasty leagues, doesn't matter. He's a stud. I love it. I love it. And a big shout out to Ryan Lopes. The, Ryan Lopes is how I got my connection originally with Player Profiler and the Breakout Finder and everything. So big, big hat tip to Ryan Lopes. Uh, real runs in the Roto Underworld know who Ryan Lopes is and all the great work he did for years. So that that's a great, great name to hear tonight, uh, Ray. Want to um, want to keep this thing going. I just want to make sure, you know, I was feeling really bad. How are the nerds doing today? The ones who didn't like George Pickens. I want to make sure they're all right. A hat tip to you guys. I know that, you know, he doesn't separate, but he sure looked good last night. Uh, George Pickens looked incredible. And you talk about Chris Olave not looking like an alpha. Like, George Pickens looks like an alpha. He carries himself like an alpha. And he broke off an incredible, uh, you know, touchdown catch last night. He had a couple other really big plays. You know, his catch total was not that high, but we'll take it. It was a, it was a, a very impressive night. You love seeing it. It's a guy that was kind of polarizing this past offseason. I got in some arguments where I back up George Pickens. Um, but do you think that he keeps this thing going and he ends up finishing like, you know, I think top 20, top 15 this year, uh, with especially with Deontay Johnson on the on the IR? You know, the funny thing is about Pickens, people feel like he can't just be a target monster. And I, I saw him do it multiple times in college. He just wasn't asked to do that in the NFL. I, too, got in a lot of arguments over people with, about George Pickens because I looked at what he did as a rookie and I'm thinking – like, this is encouraging. What, are we not excited that he had 800 and what is it, 27 yards his rookie season? And like he, the things that he did do while not getting those targets, while not being utilized in those ways. Football is not, it, it is not, a lot of people just think it goes like this every time for every player. Your trajectory, rookie, it just goes, sometimes it's a roller coaster, man. And just because you start off high doesn't mean you finish high. And if just because you start off low doesn't mean you end low. George Pickens is going to develop. This is a young man who is supremely talented. And he does have a superpower, which is contested catches down the field, but he also can work intermediate. He can run after the catch. He is a, a tenacious just player out there. Yes, I'm encouraged by George Pickens. Yes, I believe he can finish top 20. And no, the nerds are still saying that he's not that good. He only had four catches. Look, they, they just disregard every. If you take out that one play, he really wasn't that good. Like, I don't want to hear that. He's, he's, and, and here's the thing he's got no choice. I'm not going to throw the ball to Calvin Austin 20 times a game or, or Allen Robinson. I am in on George Pickens. I think he's a supremely talented player. And in this season, I think he's going to pay dividends for us. Pittsburgh's got to throw the ball, they can't yeah. run it. Najee Harris, I liked him his rookie year. He's my RB1, and he paid off for us in his rookie year. And that was it. They can't run the ball. They cannot run the ball. There is no other option. Get the ball to George Pickens. I'm bullish. Yeah, I, I love it. And, um, you know, Lambda, 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 you'll make a comeback, but the Alpha Betas win this one on George Pickens. Um, sorry about that, guys. And let's talk about Najee real quick. It's not on the show sheet, but this is panic time, Ray. Jalen Warren looks very good. He's out. He's outgained Najee Harris through two games. And receptions-wise, it's not even close. Talking about, about a guy in Harris that had over 70 receptions as a rookie. In year two, he drops down to 40s. And the the Najee Harris kind of apologist said, you know, it's because Big Ben wasn't there and Big Ben liked to check down. But this undrafted free agent, Jalen Warren, catches 28, 29 balls. Now the season starts out and Najee has like three catches to Jalen Warren's nine. 
And Jalen Warren looks like maybe the most talented player on Pittsburgh's offense besides George Pickens. Like from a dynasty perspective, what are you taking to get out from under Najee Harris right now? Is this like pure, pure panic mode? Tell us some players you'd be kicking the tires on. I'll say this. I don't know if it's panic mode from the sense that he's going to be a running back that's just out of a job. But it is trending towards either a true split or it feels a lot like what Dallas felt like last year with Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard, where Zeke was still out there early and got those, you know, those customary veteran carries. But everybody knew Tony Pollard was the game breaker. And I do think that at some point, Pittsburgh has got to wake up. and It, it is... Theo, it doesn't take a film grinding scout to watch what's happening on the field to say that this player, number 30, is more explosive than number 22. And they should use them as such. And if they want to win with Kenny Pickett, with this Matt Canada-led offense, they have to get created and get Jalen Warren the ball. What would I be doing with Najee Harris right now? I'd be trying to sell him. I'll tell you that. No one's going to pay you a first. And then you're going to feel like I don't want to sell for a second. So is there a, a tear down that you can make for... You know, just some spot starts. And I know it sounds nasty, but would do, would you have ever thought the I would have been like Brian Robinson or Najee Harris? And right now, I guarantee you would take Brian Robinson 100 out of 100 times over Najee Harris. That's the name I was going to throw out to you because Brian Robinson, that's the one I think that some people haven't kind of gotten around on. But I would take that that trade in a heartbeat. And I was thinking about offering that one out in like my last two Najee Harris dynasty shares. The problem is every time I try to trade Najee Harris, I know what I'm doing in Dynasty. I have Jalen Warren on the roster too, and they'll counter back and try to get Jalen Warren, and I don't want to do that. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try that trade because I think Brian Robinson is so far ahead of Najee Harris right now, and it's it's crazy to think that of like the two Alabama backs, how, how much better Brian Robinson looks. But football's a funny thing, and sometimes guys peak too early, and sometimes guys grind down. And I think that there is a little bit of deference I think that the coaching staff really loves Harris. Harris played through injuries last year. He's definitely a very tough guy, um, and he's a he's a real like warrior out there. But yes. at the end of the day, he's just not getting it done. And Matt Canada has got to save his job. And if I'm trying to save my job as Matt Canada, I'm gonna I'm gonna target George Pickens, and I'm gonna get Jalen Warren the ball as much as possible, and get Muth involved until Deontay Johnson comes back. I think that's my my uh my action but hey you know i'm not matt canada you're not matt canada um want to keep this one going one one good quarterback who's you know we have rookies on the on the show sheet we got to get back to the rookies but justin fields this has been a disappointing start you know this is a guy we pushed up uh in the preseason you know he was getting taken right next to justin herbert who also hasn't really been crushing it but that sort of fields herbert tier was a tier that a lot of fantasy managers were really really excited about but Justin Fields, they're not running him this year, and there's been some spotty play from the receivers, and the offense is definitely not doing what drafters thought. What's your panic level on the Chicago Bears offense? Your thoughts on Justin Fields? Where are you at on him? I am very concerned for Justin Fields. Very concerned. Um at some point, the excuse is it can't be all the receivers are running the wrong routes. It can't be the offensive coordinator, and they just got rid of Luke Getze. And the fact that they made this move already, Theo, it leads me to believe that people in the higher-up spots in Chicago are already, they are panicking. They realize that this is not good. This is a guy that we want to be the face of the franchise, 
And they've already made that decision two weeks into the season, man. Think about that, Theo. Week one, they were prepping for that for week one back in June. All game planning was already in their work in June and July for week one. So literally like one week of in-season preparation, in-season game planning. And they said, Luke getsy has got to go. This is not working. That's step one to Justin Fields being gone. Offensive coordinator out of the way. All right, we'll change it up. We'll allow you to do the things that you do well. Here's my fear with Fields. And from a redraft perspective, I do think a change could be good for his value right now. If they're smart, they'll allow him to run the ball. And if Justin Fields is running the ball, he's going to score his fantasy points. The problem with that is every quarterback that's been a dynamic rusher at some point in their career, they have to show proficiency from the pocket. You have to be able to make throws because you can't outrun everybody. You saw how beat down he got towards the end of the season. You have to be able to throw the ball. And I just don't know if they're set up to do that. I, I You see more quarterbacks get ruined in the NFL than developed. And at this point, three years into his career, he's still one of the worst quarterbacks when you look at EPA per drop back. You can make all the excuses you want, but historically, he is already in an outlier bucket to turn this thing around and become a better passer. This is not good for his long-term value. This year, I do think the offensive coordinator change can help. But he's got a brutal schedule coming up after he's got a he's got a couple of tough matchups over the next next month and a half. This is rough for Fields. It's rough. It's rough, man. It's tilting for sure. And you also worry, you know, you bring up the fact that they might move on from Fields at, at some point, and they have all this ammunition to do so this offseason with such a talented rookie class coming in in this 2024, you know, class of quarterbacks. There's so many opportunities for teams to pivot off of starters they're not happy with. So yeah, it's it's definitely a uh it's definitely tilting. And I think that if I don't know, Galaxy braining it here, they could have used that that number one overall pick potentially on Anthony Richardson, knowing the fields doesn't take a step forward. I think that might be something a year from now we look back and say they could have just done this, um, which would have been a very unpopular thing to do at the time, because Fields, you know, is a guy that we looked at as an upcoming guy, especially in in fantasy. But I'm kind of smitten with with Anthony Richardson right now. Um, I want to keep moving him up and up and up in dynasty rankings every week here at Player Profiler. He was set to have an enormous game in game two. He scores two early rushing touchdowns, and he looks so at ease doing it, just casually walking into the end zone. Such an explosive player. The passing is better than I think a lot of people anticipated, and he has the youth. How high are you and Anthony Richardson? How high are we willing to push him up in terms of looking him up, up against these truly elite quarterbacks? Theo, I feel like you're baiting me right here. You know good and damn well I am a rich truther numero uno, man. But you the people want to hear it. The people want to hear it. And let me say this, because I was very firmly on in Superflex. A rich was my one-on-one. He was my one-on-one in Superflex. He was. He still is, despite what I see from B. Bijan Robinson is Ladanian Tomlinson reincarnated. There's there's no doubt about that. He's an incredible, incredible running back. But Anthony Richardson, for the game in which we play, when you do hit on one of those type of quarterbacks, Theo, and what's lost in that game where he scored those two rushing touchdowns is he started off six for ten. Yeah. Started off six for ten for passing, and no, he's not going to blow you away and have three hundred. He probably he will never be one of those quarterbacks that throws for 400. I, I would bet the farm he never has a 400 passing yard game ever, ever. 
350, maybe, maybe he gets there. But what he's going to do, and most importantly, Theo, who he's doing it with. This Indianapolis Colts offensive line is blocking well. They're finding people to run. It makes you just think, oh, my God, how much better would it be with Jonathan Taylor? But Shane Steichen, and I know I love you, Matt. I know Matt hates talking about the coaches, but hear me out. Take a look at Philadelphia and how they've looked the first two weeks of the season with their offensive coordinator change. And then you look at what Shane Steichen has done for Anthony Richardson and you see people referencing his passing chart. Oh, it's all right here. And it's he's doing what keeps his quarterback comfortable. And those things are allowing him to thrive in that offense. Shane Steichen did it with Justin Herbert. He did it with uh, with Jalen Hurts last year. And right now, I feel that Anthony Richardson is in the best hands of a coach to be successful. Theo, I see it on the show sheet. How high do I have him? He's been over fields for me. I was taking him over fields before we got to the season. So right now, I think there's no doubt about it. There's three elite guys at the top. That's Mahomes. That's Allen. That's Justin. That's uh, Jalen Hurts. You've got Joe Burrow. You've got Justin Herbert. I'm going to include Lamar Jackson into that subset. He's right there behind Trevor Lawrence for me. And T-Law, I could... I know people may not like it. I could make a case for taking Anthony Richardson over Trevor Lawrence. I think T-Law is good. I think... I think we just know it's T-Law, and he's been in our brains for so long. We're just like, oh, T-Law, T-Law, T-Law. But uh, AR-15 or or Anthony Richardson 5, excuse me, not AR-15. But I think he could – there's no doubt that he can finish on a consistent basis a higher point-per-game player than Trevor Lawrence. He is in that elite light territory for me. There are only a handful of quarterbacks that I take over him. Seasonal links, dynasty links, give me Anthony Richardson. Yeah, and I think that – you know, seasonal-wise, uh, Cam Newton's record is in jeopardy. If Richardson can keep this up, I believe it's like 380 points um, that Cam Newton had in his rookie season. But I think that we're going to see him surpass Justin Herbert's rookie rookie output. Um, there's there's definitely some records kind of in sight. And Indianapolis, they don't have a whole lot of weapons for him. Uh, and he's doing it with Zach Moss in the in the backfield next to him. I mean, it's it's wild stuff. The first game... He was like over 65% passing in game two, six for 10. So we are, we're here. It's Anthony Richardson season. And we, we don't, we could talk all day about Bijan Robinson. We both <laughs> love him. He could be RB one overall this year. It's probably going to be him or Christian McCaffrey finishing as RB one overall, but quick thoughts on Jameer Gibbs. Jameer Gibbs saw 48% snap share this past game. He had nine targets, but there's some concerns there. Uh, I think that they have a capped number on the number of carries they're, they're going to give him in any single game. Um, but now David Montgomery looks like he's going to miss some time. Where are you at on Gibbs? Theo, can you help me out? What, what, what did people, did people think that he was going to be this running back that carried the ball 20 times up the a gap? Is that was, was that the, is that the level of expectation for Jameer Gibbs? 199 pounds. No, that's not, that's not even how you want to use him. Are we are we ignoring the fact that he led the team in targets in week two? He led the team in targets. Uh, like, that's what I want. I don't want them slamming him up the A-gap. Does it suck that he got vultured at the goal line? Yes, it does suck that Craig Reynolds got in there and vultured him. Y'all got to relax, man. This yeah. is a Ferrari, a Lamborghini. And once it gets going, I trust Ben Johnson. I trust what the Lions are going to do. Once it gets going, you will regret fading, thinking negative thoughts, just relax and be patient. He led the damn team in targets week two. This is going to, it's going to continue to increase. And he will see a slight uptick in usage and rush attempts, but I don't give a damn, Theo, about running a 22 power. I don't care. You don't got to run him up the gut. 
Use them in space. Use them on the outside. Get them involved in the receiving game. This is why you draft Jameer Gibbs. That is why you draft him. You don't draft him for 22 rush attempts because that's not his game. I, I, I just I don't understand this wholesale panic on this player after two weeks, and he's looked good. They just he just needs more opportunity and volume. It will happen. Yeah, and, and game one, he was about to walk into the end zone. If he would have just scored that early touchdown, I think there would have been. But Ray, you know how it is. People want the early returns, and uh, you know they want to panic. And I'm gonna get ready because I know I'm the biggest Jameer Gibbs guy. Uh, you know, at Player Profiler, and we have a Sonic Truth Pod on Friday. I've got to, I got to, I got to get in there ready to defend my guy. But you know, he's has more catches through two games than Alvin Kamara did or Christian McCaffrey did in their rookie season. He's Reggie Bush. He is not there yet, but among like the elite pass catching guys, he's right there. So yeah, I think boom weeks are on the horizon for Gibbs, and you know, he's certainly going to get the opportunity with David Montgomery uh, potentially missing some time here. I love him. I, I think he's a stud, and uh, I have no worries on, on the record. Puka Nakua mania is currently going on. You talked about him earlier. Uh, you talked about him being Amon Ross St. Brown, part two, potentially. Where are you at for Puka Nakua rest of the season? I think, what is the reasonable expectation? I saw that some of the books, some of the Vegas books now have him like top seven, top six to lead the NFL in 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 yardage and or catches and all the metrics he's way up there the books have adjusted i don't think the fantasy managers really have where are you at for rest of the season puka nakua cooper cup comes back and he's fully healthy he's probably a mid wide receiver two the rest of the way mid wide receiver two with some wide receiver one upside cooper cup comes back and he's in and out doesn't look the same because it's a hammy it's a, it, this is a hamstring injury that he re-aggravated, correct? He aggravated yes. it and then re-aggravated it. So let's go with best-case scenario. Cooper Cup is 100% back, and he's Cooper Cup. He's a mid to back-end wide receiver, too. Cooper Cup comes back, and he's not all the way Cooper Cup. They're probably both high-end wide receiver twos at that point, and we'll see which one's got the upside. Cooper Cup doesn't come back. He smashes. Like it, It's yeah. as simple as that. The point is he's not leaving the offense. One of the things I just don't understand why it's so hard for people to understand that. Like, let pay attention to what the teams are telling you. Like, the Rams are telling they don't, you know, that nobody listening to this needs me to say this, needs you to need to hear it from you, Theo. Look at what the Rams are saying with Tyler Higby, with Van Jefferson. We're still, we're going to throw it 20 times to him. And let me tell you right now, if he wasn't good, if this were. I'm going to go ahead and put myself under the rug here. If this were a Jalen Rager, they wouldn't be throwing him the ball 20 times a game because he's not good enough to earn that. To go out there and get that type of volume when you have established veterans on the team, like a Van Jefferson, like a Tyler Higby, that he could be leaning on instead of Puka Nakua, and this is happening, it's not a fluke. He's good. He's, he's an incredible receiver at identifying the soft spots and zone coverage, making himself available. He's very good at contorting his body and making those tough grabs. And of those 147 yards, if he wasn't just exhausted, he probably left another 40 on the field from some drops, Theo. This will continue. Will it continue at this clip? I'll just say my personal feeling, probably not. He looked beat at the end of the game. I've never seen a receiver look look that worn out at the end of the game. But Matthew Stafford is healthy. Sean McVay is showing, hey, when I've got a healthy quarterback, we can draw, draw up some stuff. And he's succeeding alongside other receivers who are, Theo, how can you look at this and be like, when Cup is back, 
There's nothing for Puka when Puka's getting his. Tutu Atwell's thriving. Kyron Williams was second on the team, and Kyron was second in targets in week two. There's plenty of meat to go around on this Los Angeles Rams bone. Puka Nakua, I'll just say this. I, I think he's got a very good chance. And Scott Connor on Destination Dynasty yesterday, I challenged him. Because what you hear a lot of people say, Theo, is, well, he's a fifth rounder. And historically, fifth rounders don't do this and that. Well, I want to dive a layer deeper. Because how many fifth rounders have had an opportunity to go out there and command targets? And when you start looking at wide receivers drafted on day three for over the last 20 years, over the last 20 years, there have been 16 wide receivers drafted on day three that have earned 75 targets or more in their rookie season. And if I told you the names of those 16, and if we filtered it down even more, you'd be like, holy shit. How much more? It's Tyreek Hill. It's Amon Ross St. Brown. It, they, they are names that you're like, I need those guys. So if he hits that, and I'm just using an arbitrary number of 75 targets, he's in a, he is in a historical category for day three receivers that you want to be in. And I'll leave it at that. No, I love it. I love it. And I think that, the market still hasn't caught up to him. And, you know, the, you hear these people keep trying to talk it down and try, try to rational, rationalize it. But football is a funny thing. And when it's working, it's working. And McVeigh is the kind of guy that's going to scheme guys open and maximize their strength. And we have seen the Rams offense be balanced and see multiple guys, you know, perform well out of it. You know, you think about like the Robert Woods, Cooper Cups years where they'd have two wide receivers doing well. I personally am kind of fading Cooper Cup at this point. He's already on IR. He's, you know, you talk about the hamstring injury. You're talking about a guy who's 30 years old, missed a lot of time last year. Great player for fantasy, but I think you'd have to be very optimistic to think that he's going to come back and, and give you top five wide receiver numbers. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's Puka season. It's get on the Puka train and just don't try to think about it. Just react to it, and, and it goes a little bit easier. Two other wide receivers, though, that have also flashed that I think if there was no Puka Nakua, people would be talking about these guys a little more. Jordan Addison and Zay Flowers. Your thoughts on these two guys and kind of their roles going forward? Oh, Ray, you're muted. Uh, two incredible receivers, man. Uh, Zay Flowers, uh, that is the one for me. Like, that is the one. If I had to pick one of the two, and I got to I gotta put my USC bias away. I got to put my USC bias away because I am a little, I'm a little biased for USC. But it'd be Zay Flowers. I, there, there is, as much as I love Jordan Addison, there is 0% chance, Theo. Zero. That he's the wide receiver one on that team. Zero. It's just not happening. Not with Justin Jefferson. Doesn't mean he can't be great. I think he's going to, he's going to do what he's been doing. He's going to see single coverage. He's going to be one-on-one -on -one situations. And he's got a quarterback that doesn't care. He will YOLO that thing out. So Jordan Addison is going to get his opportunity, but he does have to deal with Justin Jefferson, and he does have to deal with TJ Hawkinson, who's looking like the tight end that you need to have. When I look at Zay Flowers, and a lot of people are like, well, Lamar can't support. He can't support Mark Andrews. He can't support Rashad Bateman and Odell Beckham and Zay Flowers. Well, OBJ is just perpetually hurt. I love him, the player, but I'm not counting on Odell Beckham Jr. week in and week out. I, I put my name out there on him this year. Oh, yeah, I want some OBJ. Ankle injury, now he's out. Rashad Bateman, I believe he was out there. He was targeted 7% of the time. He's, he's an afterthought. He, he's playing flanker. They're not even looking to him. I've seen Marquise Brown Gardner 146 targets with Lamar Jackson supporting Mark Andrews for a 1,300-yard season. Zay Flowers has that ability. We talk about the Trinity, the Yak, the Air Yards, the market share. 
He's in that, he's he's got those three components. They're there. The cup isn't full yet, but he's got them. They're all lined out. Both of these guys are studs. If I had to pick one or the other, it'd be Zay Flowers over Jordan Addison, but I'd be happy with either of those guys. They're phenomenal. Those are those are the receivers, along with JSN and Puka Nakua, that you want from this 23 class early. You know, you look at Quentin Johnston, and it doesn't look as rosy for QJ. Doesn't look as rosy for QJ. Big fan of Zay Flowers and Jordan Addison this year and beyond. These two are are are, are very, very high-quality receivers. Yeah, I love Zay Flowers. I mean, I think that what you said about Jordan Addison makes a lot of sense. He's definitely capped playing next to Justin Jefferson, but I think he could still be a big-time fantasy producer. I think he could be a wide receiver, too, this year. Um, you know, he certainly has is having no trouble getting open uh, in that offense, despite they're so consolidated in their targets in Minnesota. It's it's just great for for fantasy. Like we saw last year with Miami, you can see multiple guys eating as long as it's consolidated. And they don't even have other wide receivers running routes besides Osborne and Addison and Jefferson and then Hawkinson at tight end. And I love Flowers. I think Flowers is just such a stud. Uh, I think that he's going to see his role grow you know, as we keep going this season. And and I would love to have, you know, Zay Flowers shares in all of my dynasty teams. I, I'm very, very optimistic for him in the future. One guy who I'm getting a little pushback was kind of one of my guys this offseason was Jackson Smith and Jigba. He's seeing targets, Ray, but the targets are about as far away from me as my computer is right now when I'm talking to you. They are, his dot is incredibly low. It's like 100th among all wide receivers in the league. Where are we at on this? That this is not the player that they're they're not using him correctly, in my opinion. Do you think things are going to change? Probably not this year. I don't think so. Like to be real, I, we we like the spot because it's Chino. He can learn under Tyler Lockett. You've got other weapons there, but he should be able. He's he's going to work, work the slot and he's going to command it. And he's not. He's just yeah. not. And. I don't believe that's going to change this season. I do believe that as long as DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are healthy, it's going to go through those guys slash Kenneth Walker. And then the fourth sort of fiddle on that offense is Jackson Smith and Jigba. It doesn't mean he's not going to have a game or two where he just, he shows you what he's got. I think deep down inside Theo, if, if we, if we turn the cameras off and we're just looking in the mirror, you know, before we take a shower, we're just looking at ourselves in the mirror and we had an honest conversation he was always a next year play. I, 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 if we're having an honest conversation, probably always a next year play. We just look at these situations and the arrogance of us to think that as good as he is, he was going to come in and kick Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf out of the way. Probably a little too ambitious for us. It doesn't mean he's droppable. It doesn't mean he's not going to have good weeks. It doesn't mean any of that. But the production that even I thought he could potentially garner this year, I just don't think it's in his range of outcome. And that's okay. That's I'm not panicked on him long term. This season, he's just he, he he's a guy. We, we say we don't. He's probably better for best ball. And here's the problem with JSN in the lineup: you feel like you got to jam him in. It, you just feel you look at him and you're like, I got to play him. I just and and instead of playing Nico Collins or Tank Dell or Jacoby Myers, you're you're jamming that JSN in the lineup and you're getting six points at the end of the day. So if we had an honest conversation, we probably he was probably always more of a next year play. Still love the talent. Don't drop him this year, but definitely lower those expectations. Yeah, and this year matters though for for the you know for your dynasty value. At the end of the day, you know, especially with the way we've seen guys produce, he's gonna have a he's gonna end up with a lot of catches. I think at the end of the year, 
uh, you know, historically, but not enough to really impact the season. And shout out to Billy Muzio, who's got a bet with me on JSN. I took JSN finishing as a wide, as wide receiver 36 or better. I'm nervous, Ray. I think I'm going to be paying that one out. But what are you going to do? You can't win them all. Um, but one one position that I think is very exciting. Oh, and I'll say this. I see Jaden Reed finding the end zone twice last week and just thinking to myself, if Green Bay would have just taken JSN in the first round, it would have been a perfect fit, and it could have been JSN scoring those two touchdowns. And we could have spent 15 minutes talking about JSN if he was a Green Bay Packer uh, this year. But what are we going to do? Let's talk about the rookie tight ends. This seems like a special class to me. We talked about it in the in the preseason uh, and the offseason about how I thought this was kind of like a, a class that could kind of change the league. Do you view these guys as elite players, or is it kind of propped up slightly by their opportunity? How how bullish should we be collectively on Laporta, Kincaid, Musgrave, and potentially, I think, down the line, Mayer? Yeah, I, here's here's the thing, man, and I'll add another one to that list. Another one that under the radar, none of us thought he should have been drafted in the second round. But I look up and a player that didn't do much in training camp because he had a foot injury. But Luke Schoonmaker's on the field for Dallas, and Jake Ferguson isn't commanding it the way that Dalton Schultz did. So I think Dallas wants to get them involved. People that I know in Dallas, they were like they're very high on Luke Schoonmaker. So deeper stash, nothing this year. But this tight end class, it is special. Sam Laporte is he's the truth. He is he is the most complete package of a tight end in this class. Doesn't mean that he's the best. I'm not saying he's tight. Wherever you want to put him, he, he's on the field. He's making critical blocks for David Montgomery to score touchdowns. He's able to go down the field, work intermediate. I think he's the most complete tight end in this class. Dalton Kincaid, while sharing the field with Dawson Knox, I understand that people just want the guy to be out there only, but he's running the routes. He is involved in the offense as a rookie, and I do like the way that Buffalo is using him. He's not going to be your inline traditional blocker. That's not That ain't what he does. That's not his skill set. That's what Sam Laporta and Michael Mayer do. But Dalton Kincaid, I think he has proven a lot of people wrong early by the usage, how good he does look. And 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 I'm not expecting him to go out there and get 80 yards a game. Just be involved. Don't be don't don't be an afterthought. And he's involved in both weeks this season. Sam Laporte is not only involved, he's an integral part of that offense. Michael Mayer, not as involved. That's the one where I just I just want to see that situation a little bit more. He, he's He's not running a lot of routes. It's just it's the it's the doggone Raiders, man. My, my my hometown Raiders. I just don't know, but I do like Michael Mayer's profile and Luke Musgrave. We've already seen early returns on an offense that is literally Theo, nothing but second year and rookie pass catchers. This is promising for these tight ends, and there are a couple of other dart throws that you might be able to pick up later down the line that can be usable. This is a phenomenal tight end class. I hope you got one of the guys this year, because I'm telling you right now, next year it's looking a little shaky after about two or three guys. So this is a very good tight end class, and I'm encouraged long term. Yeah, but that guy at the top is pretty good, Ray, next year. Are you talking about that uh, that Brock guy? That, that yeah. Brock guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's not bad. Yeah, that, he's not bad. He's pretty good. <laughs> we're already getting we're already getting excited about him. Yeah. And I have I have all of these, you know, college questions for you as well, but we're we're reaching an hour. So I want to just get pick pick your brain on Marvin Harrison Jr. This is a guy that, you know, not to get too college football-y or or Debbie like, but we do have Destination Debbie's own Ray Garvin in the house here. Marvin Harrison is one of the best wide receiver prospects I think we've ever seen. How truly special is he? And I asked the same question to Curtis Patrick a couple weeks ago, right here on press coverage. 
where does Marvin Harrison Jr. go in redraft next year? I think he's going to be a third-round pick right out the top. Uh, and where do you have him potentially in Dynasty? To answer the initial question, is he that special? He is. Um, and you saw it very early in his career at Ohio State. He is a blend of size and speed that we have not seen in a long time. As good as Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson are, those guys aren't physically like Chase is six foot, 200 pounds, right? You, he he plays and looks bigger, but he's six foot, 200. You're talking about a guy that's a legitimate 6'2, six, 6'3, two, six, 220 pounds that's running 22 miles an hour down the field. I mean, this is. This is a you watch him, and I don't I don't want to overreact. I don't I've been watching college football a long time, Theo. A long time. Peter Warwick, I've gone through all of those. The old Mike Williams from USC, old Mike Williams, not new Mike Williams. I've seen a lot of collegiate receivers come through. This is Marvin Harrison Jr. is one of the first ones that I watched, and I said, Man, that's not a good college receiver. That's a pro receiver. He looks like an NFL receiver right now. Are there things he can work on? Absolutely. Everybody can get better. I think in redraft, my initial thought is around the three, four turn, you know, top of the fourth, back of the third. That's where you take that shot. You, you lock up your, your solidified starters at the top, shoot for some high end upside at the, uh, you know, three, four turn. I think it's going to be dependent on where he lands. I, I, I really do. I know people are talking about these. I, I just, I want to see where he lands. I think the landing spot will dictate to a degree I'll tell you where I would love for him to land is in Indianapolis. I, I would yes. love for him to be paired up with Anthony Richardson and Shane Steichen in his father's old old stomping grounds, and he can turn Lucas Oil into his place. Dynasty, I'll say this. I think right off the bat, he's dynasty wide receiver three. What Like it or not, people are going to put him there. And if, because dynasty is such a reactionary game, we, we, we keep differentiating between dynasty and redraft and Right now, it feels like it's all one big thing. It's Dynasty is a modified version of redraft. It's a week-to-week market manipulation game. If Joe Burrow and the Bengals struggle, if Kirk Cousins leaves the Vikings, I'm just giving you these hypotheticals because I know how Dynasty gamers work. There will be people that tell themselves a story that they he needs to be wide receiver too. Let's just say it's Chase. Let's just say Chase just face plants this year. Burrow can't get right. Chase doesn't hit a thousand yards. All these things I don't believe will happen. But let's say that happens. Oh, you will get people to say, oh, man, Chase had a down year. I mean, Marv is in. There will be people that talk themselves into it. Justin Jefferson loses Kirk Cousins and they replace him with hell. I don't know. Man. I don't know. Loses Kirk Cousins. Oh, man, I, you know, no Kirk Cousins there. I, I just don't know. Jefferson going into year five. People will do it. I am not saying nor advocating for that to be the case because for me, it's Jefferson and Chase still. But there will be people, in, and, and mark my words, that will say Marvin Harrison Jr., wide receiver two because of that. I think he's valued as wide receiver three. I think you should take him on the three-four turn next year, and I do believe he's that special of a talent. Yeah, and uh, he also, like, we talk about watching him on film and how how incredible he is. And then you look at some of the actual metrics, and they do. I always talk to Cody Carpenter about this. The article that I look forward to every summer is the Bruce Feldman Freaks list on the Athletic. It's it's incredible. It's one of the best reads. If you're, you know, I don't know Bruce Feldman, but hat tip to Bruce. You write my favorite article of the summer. Marvin Harrison Jr. last year had 20 reps of 225. He bench pressed 380 pounds. He squatted 500. He had a 10-8 bra jump. 
and he was clocked at a three nine four shuttle. His forty is going to be shockingly fast, and he's got the the like the film to back up any kind of film. So Billy Wazowski, who is an NFFC Hall of Famer, he won the RotoWire Online Championship two seasons ago. If I had to pick five of the best, you know, redraft managers in the country, I'm picking Billy. Billy's convinced that somebody's going to be taking him in the second round next year because we're going to get the summer's going to be the steam and he's going to be right there. So uh, that'll be a fun one to talk about. Ray, give us a week three prediction. Give us a player who's going to have a good performance in week three or a guy who might bounce back who's been a little disappointing. Yeah, man. Um, there have been quite a few disappointing performances in um, in week three. I'll say this, and it's probably low-hanging fruit, but it's on an offense with so many players that we want to see successful. And we watched the game last week, and he probably left three to four touchdowns on the field. I know people, a lot of people are still kind of, I don't know about him long-term, but I do. You look at his EPA per drop back, you look at his efficiency metrics, and Brock Purdy's right there. He didn't have a good game last week. He did not have a good game, and he missed three touchdowns at minimum versus the Giants on Thursday night in a get-right spot. I think you can fire up Brock Purdy with full confidence. This is this is their home opener playing against a Giants team that will be absent. Saquon Barkley, I don't give a damn what Brian Dayball is saying. He ain't playing this. And, and the Giants, Brian Dayball and that, that medical staff should be fired on the spot if they put Saquon Barkley out there on Thursday. The 49ers home opener, a depleted Giants team, one of the worst offensive lines in football going up against this defense, this should be a get-right spot for Brock Purdy. And I'm not even telling you he's going to sling the ball all around. Those dump-offs to CMC, screen plays, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, this is a get-right game for the 49ers offense in Week 3. They should put up points on this Giants team. So I think Purdy, all those 49ers, they bounce back in a great matchup versus the Giants on Thursday night. I love it. I love the call. I'll say I'm flag planting Jahan Dotson for this week. I think Washington is hosting Buffalo. Sam Howell, 3-0 as Washington starter, and they have a chance to beat the Bills this week in Washington. I think that Jahan Dotson, it's a going to be a good matchup for him. I think McLaurin's going to get the attention. This is going to be a classic Dotson game. I think he finds the end zone, maybe finds the end zone twice. Game comes right down to the wire. Washington's have a chance to win this game at home. Ray, this was awesome today. Let everybody know once again where they can find you. Dude, I can't believe that before we start the show, I'm like one hour. I'm just like, damn, Theo, I'm just getting warmed up, man. We got to do yeah. this again. Like, for, I, we, could, we can keep going because I want to talk about some of these guys. But thank you um, for having me on. You'll find me on Twitter or X or whatever it's called, at RayGQ. That's Q-U-E. And then all of my content on YouTube, RayGQ. Or you can visit DestinationDevy.com. Scott Connor, myself, putting out articles, doing some different things with war, talking about replacement value data, and uh, just having a good time talking ball, man. So thank you for having me on. This was um, this was fun. You're a phenomenal host. Uh, you're a sharp fantasy football mind, and I really appreciate you having me on this show, Theo. Thank you. No, the respect is mutual, Ray. And definitely check out Ray and Scott and all the great people at Destination Devi. Uh, stick with us this week, First Class Fantasy. I'm having another former player profiler alum josh larkey's coming on first class fantasy thursday at 3 30 uh we're going to keep the good shows going all off season long uh and let's win this is this is week three stick with us we're gonna we're gonna give you the the as many edges as we can and we're gonna try to win in week three we're gonna get this thing going and let's have a great rest of the season everyone hey i want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in it's important to me that all of our media be free this is only possible because of you 
allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business. So please subscribe to the All In Package to continue to make all this possible to ensure that all of our stats, information, data, content is available to you, especially you, the people that get the site and get the show.